0: Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. This morning reading morning's reading is a selection of proverbs from chapters 4, 19, and 20. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from for from it flows the springs of life. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot Away from evil. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. We're going to keep the scripture up on the screen, uh, and I'll explain that in just a second. If you do have a Bible, it would be helpful to open to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be turning back and forth just a little bit uh, as we examine um, what Proverbs is telling us about our need to find our wisdom in God alone as the source of all true wisdom. So we're continuing this series called The Quest for Wisdom. And we're positing that we are all born on this quest, looking for the, the skill to live well. And so we look in all these different places, and our desires that are corrupted by sin tell us that, that there are um, mirages out there, things that we think will satisfy us and give us the skill to know how to live life, but they don't. And we're really meant to find that skill in the God of Christianity, the God of the Scriptures Um, And so we're on this quest to try to find that and we need help to find that. We need guidance and protection and assistance with this. And I believe the Bible tells us where where and how to find that necessary wisdom um, to live life well. And so Proverbs is really, we've we've been going chapter by chapter so far and we've done that with every book of the Bible from Genesis to Acts to Revelation. But Proverbs is not really meant to be taught verse by verse. It's very challenging to do that. It would take a really long time. It's really meant, you could go straight through chapter 9, but even that is pretty repetitive. So after chapter 3, now that we're done with chapter 3, we're just going to start splitting Proverbs up into subject matter because different Proverbs address the same things over and over and over again. So today we're talking, it's a, a good baseline is to talk about wisdom and desire. And then we, later on, we're going to talk about wisdom in family, wisdom in friendship, wisdom in our words, wisdom in sexuality, wisdom in money, so on and so forth. There's all this different subject matter that addresses every practical issue of life mentioned in the book of Proverbs. And so we're going to separate it by subject matter. And today's uh, Proverbs, if you will, are um, uh, the theme is wisdom and desire. So let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, you have given each of us deep desires for love, for connection. Father, many of our desires um, cause us to fall out of line with what you would desire us to be. Our desires are corrupted. Our desires need renovation and restoration and redemption. Lord, I pray that you would show us this morning by the power of your Spirit what you have given us those desires ultimately for, that we might seek out you as the true source and the true delight of our desires, that you might be glorified, and that we might live life in a way that we were created to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. So my family this week watched uh, the movie Toy Story 4 for the second time. Natalie watched it for the first time. Has anyone seen Toy Story 4 yet? Yes. Uh, uh, Anyone else? Mike has, of course, seen it three times. Um, It is my favorite Toy Story movie so far, and I think I say that about every new Toy Story movie that comes out because they continue to get better and better. Um, But Toy Story 4 was particularly, particularly resonated with me as, you know, a dad of three kids that now watches basically primarily kids' movies. Um, I found that Toy Story 4 actually had a really redemptive, message. And, you know, as pastor of church, like the movies that have that redemptive message, I'm kind of gravitate towards that. And here's the gist of Toy Story 4, and you all can correct me if I'm wrong. I might be a little off on the details here, but this is how I understood the movie and the story of the movie. But it's basically about, you know, the classic Toy Story toys who have gone from Andy being their owner to uh, Bonnie, this other girl. The toys were all given to this girl named Bonnie. And we pick up Toy Story 4 where uh, the toys are with Bonnie. And she's um, introducing a new toy to this group of toys. And the way she introduces it is really funny and kind of interesting. Um, she goes to kindergarten on her first day of kindergarten. And Woody, who's like the faithful toy um, who's friends with, he just loves Bonnie and wants Bonnie, whoever his owner is, he just lives to like make the owner happy and to please the owner. And so Bonnie's going off to kindergarten. And she's scared to death. And in order to try to ensure that she has a great day of kindergarten and that she, she likes it and her day's not ruined, Woody sneaks into her backpack and goes to school with her. Unfortunately, when she gets to school, um, one of the kids takes her craft that she's supposed to be using to make some sort of thing. And uh, Bonnie's left there kind of sitting there alone, and she's sad, and she doesn't want, know what she's going to do. So Woody sneaks out of the backpack, and he's frantically looking for some... Uh, stuff to help her make her craft and all he sees is stuff in the trash and so he grabs some stuff out of the trash real quick puts it on the table while she's not looking she turns around and she sees that she has what she needs or she thinks she has what she needs to make this craft and you know, kind of participate with the rest of the students and her day is not ruined, Woody saved her day well it's what she fashions out of that trash which, that is interesting, she decides to make a toy and she makes a toy named Forky out of a, a, a spork that was left you know, one of those spoon fork things, the, the KFC hybrid that they so brilliantly invented. Um, she, she grabs the, the spork, and she grabs, like, a Popsicle stick and some wire and maybe some buttons or something like that, and she weaves together this very basic toy that just looks like a spork that stands up on, like, you know, two Popsicle sticks with feet, and then it has wire that has hands that look like this, so it's really ridiculous, but Bonnie, this becomes Bonnie's favorite toy, and any of you all who have had kids, you know, like, your kid's can value some of the strangest things because it's theirs, and especially because she made it. So she values this toy, and um, the, the, the premise of the story is that Forky, when he comes to the community of other toys, all he ever wants to do in the movie is go back to being part of the trash. He's just trying to find his way to a trash can because he believes he's trash, and he believes where he belongs is in the trash. And Woody is convinced that he's, he has to convince Forky or Forky that he's not trash, that he's now a toy, a beloved toy of Bonnie. And he needs to accept that and for, her, for her enjoyment and so that he can be this, this, enjoy what it is to be a toy and to be played with. And so Forky, you know, is almost like acting like this infant toy and he's constantly going back to the trash. And as they're, they even take a trip to go to this RV park and um, Forky jumps out of the RV onto the highway to try to escape to get back to the trash, and Woody courageously jumps out of the RV, and there's this great um, scene where Woody's dragging Forky back down the highway. They're miles away from where Bonnie and the rest of the toys are, but Woody's courageously on this adventure to bring Forky back to Bonnie, and and Forky says, why do I have to be a toy instead of a piece of trash? And Woody says, because you have Bonnie's name written on you. Whether you like it or not, you're a toy, not a piece of trash. And obviously that story as a Christian resonates with me because it's about the power of our desires from the moment we're born into this world. We're ignorant and naive to who we truly are and what we're made for. We settle for much less than what God meant us for. We believe we're forky, destined for the trash, our, our expectations and our desires are so much lower than they actually should be. We settle for so much less than what God made us for. And we easily believe the lie, I think, even in this room, that we are, in fact, trash. That our, we don't have any worth apart from what we can achieve or apart from maybe what our stories have told us we are, when in reality we are God's treasure. With His name, as He says in the Scriptures, written on our hearts. Every one of us, no matter where we come from, no matter what we're made of, no matter what's participated in building our story, we are made in the image of God. So what identity this morning are you settling for? What desires in you have led you to form that identity? Where have your desires caused you to go to find significance and identity and satisfaction? The truth is, like Forky, we need a rescuer to save us, to remind us of who we are and where we belong. We need someone to come along and change our desires for the world and show us what we were made to desire, which is community, love from our maker, joy, and freedom. Because the one thing we share in common, one thing that we share in common in this room is that we're all creatures stirring with desires. It's one way we know there's a God. You've been created with desires to love, and to be loved, and to hate, and to change, and to know, and to be known, and to achieve, and to grow, and to learn, and much, much more. And we feel these desires from the moment we enter the world, just like Forky. Solomon tells us here in Proverbs 19 that desire without knowledge is not good. Forky's desire to be in the trash is no good because he's lacking the wisdom and the knowledge that the other toys have from their experience of knowing who they are and what they're meant for. And it has to be shared. Our desires need to be rescued and realigned and reoriented and reshaped by the love of a loving God, a merciful God. We need godly wisdom to control and govern and stand guard over the desires that originate from our hearts, or we'll settle for, for, for trash, settle for less. So a wise person understands two vital things from these passages this morning, that our desires must be guarded and our desires must be guided. So how do we guard our desires? And it says there, um, keep your heart with all diligence. It's really guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Many of you all probably maybe, maybe have heard that verse before, but what does it really look like for us to guard our desires? The ESV translation says, um, what it says up here, it says, keep with all diligence. That means to proa- it's a proactive command means that we must be proactive and not passive in passive keeping close watch over the desires that come from corrupt hearts. Our desires flow from the heart like a geyser. They're constantly spewing out for all kinds of different things we want in this life. And so we got to keep guard over the source of our desires to make sure those desires are kept under control so as not to lead us astray. One thing that Proverbs is telling us, as we've already kind of established, is this is not just advice for kind of making your life better. To to the author of Proverbs, who is Solomon, this is an issue of life and death. This is a man who knows what it is to submit to finding wisdom to live life well from God. But he's also a man who knows what it is to turn his back from God and say, I'm going to try to find wisdom and satisfaction from every other source. And God lets him loose to go and do that. That's the whole book of Ecclesiastes. And his conclusion after pursuing every worldly pursuit known to man, besides God himself, is that it's all smoke. It's all vanity. And it's not worth it. It doesn't satisfy. And he realizes that every desire in him is only fully satisfied and met in the God of Christianity. The problem is our our hearts were born unruly and corrupt and impossible to totally control we all feel that on a day-to-day basis these impulses that come from us I'm an extremely impulsive person it's part of what makes me uh, able to lead a church is I I I see things I want and I want to go pursue them and I'm passionate about it and I love it and I get excited about things but if I'm not careful and I don't have the right governors around me which is my session and people pumping the brakes and saying whoa Jay wait a second you sure this is a good idea People that aren't just a bunch of yes men, but people that can challenge me in those impulses and say, you need to interrogate that impulse and figure out if that's really what the Lord wants. If I don't do that, my impulses lead me astray. They cause me to make naive and ignorant decisions without weighing the consequences. And that happens in much greater depth than just in leading a church. It happens in my daily life with the things that I desire. And a lot of the time, it can end up being a a situation of life or death if I don't guard those impulses in me, if I don't keep watch over them. And I think we we all feel that. Chapter 19, verse 2 through 3 says, Desire without knowledge is not good. What is guiding your desires that flow forth from your heart? We need the wisdom of God to know how to maintain right desires for right things. What's our definition of sin here at Flat Rock? Can you, is anyone courageous enough to say it? I say it all the time. Sin is not the desire. For a bad thing, it's for a good thing. Amen. Thanks, Brett. Sin is not the desire for a bad thing. It's an over-desire for a good thing. So the world is created with all of these good things that we can enjoy from food, to friendship, to family, to relationship, to creation. But it is in our corrupt hearts to over-desire those good things to the point of corruption, to the point of um, obsession, to where we think those things. I mean, it's, it's like me when I find a new song that I'm really into. Um, Josh Gerrell's right now. I discovered him like three weeks ago, and you were to think I thought I'd discovered like the greatest music in the history of the world. I'm obsessed with this guy right now. And I listen to one song called Farther Along, and you know what my impulse is? I listen to that song over and over and over, and I've listened to that song every day for the last three weeks, if not multiple times a day, to the point where I just consume it. There's nothing left. I'm so sick of it now. <laughs> and three weeks ago, I just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. But that's how I work. And so I find a movie that I like. I see it, Interstellar. Love that movie. Seen it ten times. I don't even want to watch it again. Just consume things. That I like. That's called over-desire. I I taste some piece of satisfaction in it, in whatever the moment is, the lyrics of a song or a movie experience, whatever it might be. And we can do this in relationships, too. In fact, I did do this in relationships until I met my wife, who's the greatest governor of all time. I would just consume relationship. Like, I was that guy that a woman was like, whoa, easy, okay. Like, we just met, now you want to get married and have babies. That's weird. Um, But my desire, I didn't know, I don't know how to control those, I didn't know how to control those impulses. And there are always those desires for connection and community. Those are good desires. Desire for relationship and marriage. Desire for pleasure and music and the things that God has given us that are good, but then I over-desire and I consume them. So how do I guard those desires? What do I do with that? A lot of us just react, we just live life reacting to what feels good. You know, it's obviously a very common message in our culture. Just do what feels good. If we, do, if we don't have the wisdom to understand these that first of all, those tendencies are sinful and that it can even be a life and death situation, that they can it can it threatens our lives, it threatens our relationships, it threatens our community, our peace. Jesus said of the human heart, from out of the human heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. For hearts are producing these terrible over desires, how do we guard them? The answer is that we don't stand a chance on our own. That's first. You can't do this on your own. You can't leave here and say, now I'm going to control my desires. And Jay gave me 10 great steps to do that. That's not how it works. Our hearts have to be changed. And we can't change it. Which leads to our second point. We actually need a governor (laughs) installed in our hearts. You know, you all know what I mean by governor. That thing like on a golf cart that keeps it from going out of control. Um, That's what we need to slow us down. We, We need the right governor to have the power to guard our hearts and control our desires and guide them towards what satisfies. You know, it's interesting, King David, even though... Um, He was bested by his corrupt desires at times in his life. He had an affair with Bathsheba. that nearly ruined his entire, you know, kingdom. And he had her husband murdered because his desire was to hide and to be with this woman. He was over-desiring this to the point of of death. Um, He was still known as a man after God's own heart. How could a murderer and an adulterer be labeled a man after God's own heart? Because he knew his need for God to transform his heart and give him the power to guide and to guard his desires towards what is good. And God gives this power through the work of his Holy Spirit. David would say, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He knows the source. And he goes to that source. So that tells us our desires must be guided. Proverbs 9, What a person desires most is unfailing love. Eternal love is what that means. That's what we desire. So there's a a famous quote I had never heard of. I heard it's famous, but maybe you all have heard of this. But I found it interesting. It says, when a man knocks on the door of a brothel, he's looking for God. When a man knocks on the door of a brothel, he's looking for God. And the same can be true when we go on a date. We go for a run, join CrossFit, have a casual hookup with someone pour that glass of wine at the end of the day, or buy that dream house, or dream car, or cut corners at work to succeed. We're looking for God. And all of those things, all of our desires are ultimately fulfilled in God as they were meant to be. Because of sin, we're all in this quest to find tangible gods that we can attach our desires to. And people, I don't know, you've probably interacted with people who don't, maybe you're understanding this for the first time this morning, but who don't understand where their desires originate from and what they're trying to lead them to. And it's like watching a train go off its tracks. And there's nothing you can really do about it until we talk, until divine disruption happens, which we talk about a lot here. And so what I've found myself doing as a pastor is I, just, I pray that for people. What I pray for divine disruption. Bring this person to the end of themselves that they might see that their desires are only fully met in you. That's an okay prayer to pray. But here's the hard part. It's pretty messy. And sometimes it even appears catastrophic watching that train go off the tracks. But they have to discover the track that they were made for. They were made to be on, to guide their unruly desires. Proverbs 4, 14 and 27 says, You know, the the fatherly wisdom over and over and over again, the message that's repeated in Proverbs is a father saying to a son, do not enter the path of the wicked. He talks a lot about his feet. He says, do not walk in the way of evil. Don't swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Because they lie in wait for blood. Evil corrupts itself. Evil consumes itself. Do not get caught up recognize what is good, recognize what is evil, and do not follow the path of the wicked. That is the number one advice this father gives to his son, and he repeats that message over and over and over again. A lot of the times when I think about Henry, and I think about the advice I want to give him, I know, that he, I, know I could say that to him all the time. I could pray that for him, but until he tastes of where that path of the wicked leads he won't fully realize how much he needs a different path. And it's going to be the most painful thing as a parent to have to watch him walk those paths. But he needs to learn how unruly his desires are in his corrupt heart and how much he needs those desires transformed by a loving and gracious God. We have to keep those desires in custody. It's literally, with all vigilance, means to restrain them as a prisoner at times. One really helpful way, so we one, one thing we offer here at Flat Rock is called Battle for the Heart. Battle for men's hearts, battle for women's hearts. Really intensive retreat that, that you go on that um, talks a lot about this. The theme verse is Proverbs 4.23. And um, the idea is that, you know, again, like out of the heart, out of, out of this deep visceral part of us, the deepest part of us, flow these desires, and we need to learn how to guide and direct those desires and find their satisfaction and what truly satisfies, which is God. And we, we do this in community. We don't do this alone. So it's groups of men and women sharing about where those desires are leading them, sharing them about how those desires have created poses is what we talk about, this kind of false self that we project to the world, that we, this front we put on, so you will like me or so that you will perceive that I, my desires have led me to some sense of success or power or achievement. But really, those poses need to come down because those poses have led us into this false sense of security. And two of the questions that uh, they encourage you to ask yourself to interrogate your heart, to see as those desires are flowing out, I have this desire for connection, I have this desire for intimacy, but I'm trying to find that connection in something like pornography or alcohol. Two great questions to ask yourself is, what is at stake and what will that give you? And those two questions have really deeply impacted my life and my own walk as this really impulsive person. I can ask myself in those moments where, like, I even feel impulsive sometimes when I'm texting people. I have to immediately text back and, like, answer these things and be this great pastor and put on this front like I have it all together. But then I stop and I ask myself, what's at stake here? My reputation or the truth? You know, or if I'm feeling tempted to overdesire something, what will this give me? Well, they'll give me a sense of rest. Well, what will that sense of rest give you? Will give me a sense of relief. Well, what will that sense of relief give you? A sense of home? Where can you truly experience home? Is it in this worldly thing, Or is it in something much greater? Is it in the trash? Or is it in the community? The church? The people of God? The famous Augustine quote that I've mentioned many times our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. But here's the, good, here's the good news this morning. God's not left you with the right, without the right medication. He has a cure for your ills, and only He can empower you with the strength necessary to guard your desires well. It all starts with finding the wisdom to do so from Him and His Word. No one guarded their desires like Jesus did. You know, one of the, my, the funniest stories in Scripture is when um, the disciples see that the enemies are coming and that they're going to persecute Jesus and them, and their, their only solution when they're trying to figure out what to do is they ask Jesus, can you call down fireballs from heaven to consume, <laughs> to consume our enemies? Like, they're just out of options, so it's like, fireballs, that makes sense. And they, they literally ask Jesus, like, can you do that? And Jesus is like, well, sure, I can do that, but that's not the answer. Instead, he he actually calls down fire, the wrath of God upon himself instead of upon his enemies. Talk about a control, a guided and guarded desire. When he's hanging on that cross even, his desire, his temptation would be to consume his enemies, to make it go away and stop. But his desire in that moment was not for himself, his desire was for you. And that's what kept him on that cross. That, desi- that desire was a selfless desire. And it's only, Jesus is the only person in history that introduces that idea of selfless desire. No one else was living that, no one else was playing that part. That's where we discovered selfless service was through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and he did it for us. Not for his own achievement or his own reputation, but to save a people unto himself. He is the one we go to. And as he's ascended into heaven, he's left us with a helper, the essential other, as we've talked about, which is the Holy Spirit, who changes our desires. Proverbs 19, 2 through 3, desire without knowledge is not good. Whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. In other words, your desires that are not guarded and guided by the wisdom of God, by the Holy Spirit, makes us impulsive and unruly creatures who ignorantly resent God for the wrong in our lives and in the world instead of looking ourselves in the mirror for our own contribution sure you all know that I'm pulling out all the classic illustrations and quotes, but you probably know the story of G.K. Chesterton, and he was asked to contribute to the article uh, that they were bringing all the authors in on, I think during, is that during World War II? Um, the London Times um, was asking these authors to contribute to uh, this essay contest, and the question was, what is wrong with the world? And Chesterton famously replied with two words, I am, um, I'm what's wrong with the world. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Um, It's just this really beautiful picture of he understands that his desires have contributed to the corruption of the world. And he needs new desires, renovated and redeemed desires, and so do we this morning. So as we go to this table, ask yourself, where are your desires leading you? And how does this table reorient you back to finding your satisfaction, your desires met, and the only one who can do it, who is Christ? Let's pray.